Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisper podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer and your host. And today we're joined by Matt Forbeck, the creator of Brave New World, his Kickstarter project that he's launched. Matt, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I'm kind of excited to, to have you here. This has been uh, exciting to watch your Kickstarter project. Uh, yours is kind of unique. Why don't you tell uh, tell everyone a little bit about kind of what you're trying to accomplish with your Kickstarter? I could do it, but I think uh, yours would have a better perspective on that. So tell us a little bit about 12 for 12. Sure. Uh, 12 for 12 is this crazy idea I came up with that I could write a novel every month for an entire year. And uh, I said, well, geez, and it's 2012 coming up. I'm going to do 12 for 12 in 2012, right? And each of the novels... Yeah, I'm a professional novelist, so this is something I do as a day job, as a full-time gig. I figured I could pull it off. I wanted to set a little bit lower bar by making them a little bit shorter novels, about 50,000 words each, which is generally the kind of novels that we used to see being published before the publishing industry decided we all wanted doorstops as opposed to the thinner volumes that we saw through the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, even into the 70s. Um, so to get the money for these books, I, being a full-time writer, I couldn't exactly take off a year to write 12 novels. So, so I was looking around, and I had a number of friends I'd seen doing a, a great job with Kickstarter. Uh, going back even to uh, Stacy Whitman, who uh, started up a division called Two Publishing for uh, minority publishing. She was trying to get minority fiction going on. And that was the first Kickstarter I ever backed. That was way, way back in about... 15 months ago, geez, in the ancient history of the Internet. How many uh, uh, How many have you totally backed so far? Yeah, that's a good question. I could find out in about two seconds. I think it's about 20 at the moment. Really? Um, yeah. And is it just random? You just see something you like, and you're like, okay, I'll back that. No, most of them are, are things that, uh, well, a lot of it's friends of mine that are doing really cool stuff, right? And sometimes it's things where I'm like, I just think that's cool. Like the Freddie W. videos, which I've been following Freddie W. on YouTube anyway. I'm like, oh, he's going to do high school video game or video game high school. I'm like, ooh, that sounds like fun. You know? <laughs> Ten bucks, they get all the recordings. Um, excellent. And I have some other friends who do video stuff that way. The guys over at uh, The Dead Gentleman do their Journey Quest stuff. Uh, they're doing funding the second season right now, and that's fantastic stuff. Um, and then I got guys like Gareth Michael Skarka, who did Far West. Right. And, that that uh, one's fascinating. That's another blend hybrid. Yeah. No, that's a great one. And Gareth, actually, he was doing well enough at it, and he was trying to come up with ways to do what they call stretch goals. You know, once you hit right. your first number, well, you want to try to get people to go up to another number, so you offer them something else if you break that number. So uh, he contacted me and a bunch of his other friends and asked if we'd write short stories for a Far West anthology. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. You know, for one, I like working with Gareth. He's a good guy. And for two, it's a great product. But for three, just being involved in the Kickstarter project at some level, I thought it would be educational for me, right? Was it, was it something like that that just kind of prompted you to say, hey, you know what, I should just do this myself? That, I've been thinking about it for a while. I, that was one of the things that kicked me over. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Lewis Porter Jr. is doing a project right now, uh, Robin Laws, uh, as a Kickstarter project, too. And Lewis had contacted me and said, are you interested in doing something where we'll try to set novellas for one of my worlds? I said, that's great, except I'm already thinking about doing something my own self, uh, which turned out to be 12 for 12. So I didn't end up doing that with him, but Robin ended up doing it, which is great. Robin's a great writer. Um, but it was watching these other guys, like also like Jeremy Keller, who did the Tecmar game. Right. Um, it wasn't just watching them do well, but do phenomenally well. Right. I mean, these guys started out asking for like, I think Jeremy asked for 2500 bucks. He ended up with $25,000, right? And Gareth started out asking for 5000 and ended up just shy of $50,000. i am like, wow, you know, this is something where 
you can run out the flagpole and see who the heck salutes, right? See whether or not there's a market for this before you actually start working on it. And I think that's the greatest benefit to creators is that you don't have to take as much of a risk on it. You don't have to just take a flying leap into space and hope there's a net or hope there's somebody there to catch you and bring you up. Right. You can actually take pre-orders for your stuff and get people excited about it ahead of time, right? And it's not even, in some ways, pre-orders. It's shortening the distance between the creator and the consumer, right? You don't there's have to write something, hope, you know, print it up, send it out to the publisher, and hope that it sells. Exactly. I mean, traditionally, when you're writing novels, you write a novel, then you shop it around to an agent who then turns, if you manage to find one, will then turn the shop around to publishers who can then take anywhere from, you know, nine months to three years or more to actually bring the book to press, you know, properly with printing and marketing and everything else. And, you know, the marketing that publishers are doing is just seems to be falling by the wayside. A lot of that, uh, you know, the traditional book tours and advertisements and all that seem to be slacking off. And so a lot of the burden of, of promoting actually falls on the author at that point. And if I'm going to be doing a lot of the promoting, if I'm going to be doing a lot of the uh, lining up readers and all that stuff, I figure I should actually try to, to benefit from that as much as I possibly can. Now, I, I don't want to say anything bad about my publishers at Angry Robot. These guys are fantastic, and they've been great friends of mine for years. However, there are things like this. The first trilogy I'm doing is based on a role-playing game I wrote 11 years ago, right, called Brave New World, uh, which is a dystopian superhero role-playing game. And because I know the guys there, they can, I can call up John Zinzer and say, John, I'd like to write a series of novels on this. Give me a teeny tiny license, and I'm the guy in charge of approvals for that line anyway. So it, that is not an issue. But for me to then turn around and try to find a publisher for that is going to be difficult, if not impossible, right? Right. If so I you, can decide, you decided that you're not just going to write a novel or you're right. just not going to write a trilogy. You guys decided to kind of take this to a bit of an extreme. I did, and uh, part of that's because I'm crazy, right? But, right, okay. Uh, it's also because I'm a pretty fast writer. I mean, I, I regularly write four novels a year plus everything else that I'm doing. I'm, I'm writing the Magic the Gathering comic book for IDW right now. I'm doing world building for a couple different things. I do computer game writing as well, um, and toy design too. So, I mean, I'm used to writing a lot of stuff under a very heavy deadline and making a full-time living out of it. Um, but I also realized that it was just such a catchy idea that thought that somebody would write 12 novels in a year, right? And the audacity of it, I thought, would be enough to help get attention for the product. Because you know, the, the biggest problem, Cory Doctorow likes to say, that the biggest problem for a writer is not having your work stolen online. It's being ignored. Right. Apathy. It, it is. It's there's so much stuff out there. There's a lot of crap out there, but also there's a ton of great stuff out there. So if you want to just rise above the crap, that's one thing. But if you want to rise up above at least getting the ranks of the great stuff, you have to do whatever you can to get people's attention, get them to start talking about your stuff, and get them paying attention to you. I've got a lot of Twitter followers, a lot of Facebook friends, all this kind of stuff, and I've been building a fan base for the last 20 years doing this kind of thing. And one of the neat things about the Brave New World game, or the books, is that it takes my old role-playing game fan base and my novels fan base and hopefully melds them together into something that's even larger than they would add up to separately. So let's talk about your, your Kickstarter campaign here. You, uh, some of the decisions you made to go into this. So you've decided on this 12 for 12, if I understand. Yep. It's basically 50,000-word novel, 12 of them, one each month in 2012. Correct. Okay, and that's the, now, basically the same thing that I think you mentioned in your video, NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month campaign that's going on right now in November, and that is a 50,000-word novel in 30 days. Correct. So I'm going to basically do a NaNoWriMo every month for the entire year of 2012. Okay, so then you decided on, there's a couple of things that uh, I've, I've pointed out to some of my listeners, that when you create a Kickstarter campaign, you've got a couple of things. You've got your video, you've got yep. your time, how long you're going to give people, uh, how much money you're going to raise, and what kind of... Uh, 
pledge rewards that you're going to give to people. So talk about a little bit about how you achieved some of those. First of all, let's talk about the video because the video is uh, quite good and you had some additional material that you were able to use, right? Right. I mean, again, this is one of the reasons I decided to lead off with Brave New World is I, uh, I had a group of film guys who were students in college that really enjoyed playing the role-playing game. And then when they graduated, they decided they wanted to make a Brave New World movie at one point, right? So these guys at Reactor 88 Studios down in Chicago a few years back decided to shoot a, a five-minute proof-of-concept video that they can then try to go out and raise money for doing a full feature film. Um, and so we have that footage. It's great footage. They did a really neat job with it. They got special effects laden in there and sound and all that great stuff. So I had really strong visuals I could sh show to people. Now, on the other hand, I didn't want to just rely on that because, you know, from all the research I've been doing and everything I've been, I've been uh, the things that I respond to, is you want to be able to make a direct connection with the, your readers on a personal level, right? I don't just want to show them ads. Like, for instance, what an early cut of the video actually had the logos of the companies that have been involved in Brave New World and in the, in the uh, video with that. But I'm like, you know, I don't want to lead off with logos, guys. That's something you might do for a film, but I think for when I want to step up and talk to people about what I'm going to do, I don't want to lead off with a bunch of corporate logos. I want to lead off with the ideas that I'm coming at the people with, what they care about. They're not going to care about uh, you know, which company is backing this. They're going to care about the ideas that I'm trying to bring to them. If that makes any sense. It does. It does. Okay. So, that, you know, so there's your video. You, you took the time. You kind of introduced yourself. Got a question. In your video, there's a, uh, a pedestrian on the street in a tie. Okay, I'm yeah. going to guess that I recognize that person. That's me in a suit. Probably the only time there's ever been video of me in a suit. Being a full-time creator, I you know basically spend my life in t-shirts and jeans because um, I don't that, have to work that was time. Doing a, okay. So then but the next thing that for the video. The next thing you had to decide was how much money to raise. So how did you come about deciding uh, for listeners who are trying to figure out the same thing as they come out with their Kickstarter project? How did you decide on your goal? I think you picked three thousand dollars as your goal. Right. Originally, what I wanted to do, I figured out for fifty thousand words of her novel. I would jump in, this is low for me, a lot of things, but I figuring about 10 cents a word, that's about $5,000 per novel, right? right? And in order to get people excited about it and interested in it, I talked to a bunch of friends who were like, do the first one for as low as you possibly can get away with, right? The first tier that you're going to put your, your stuff out there, get it as low as you can because people like to back a winner. And if you can show them that you're, you're beating the curve right away, that really helps build your momentum, Right. Um, and the thing is, you have to be willing to commit to doing it at that price, no matter what, right? So if I only got $3,000, I would have to write that novel for $3,000 and say, well, you know, it's not what I wanted, but I'm happy to do it for this amount of money, and let's hope that it, you know, the sales for it in the long run actually pan out and it becomes a hit. Um, but what I did is I basically parceled it up so there's uh, different goals then that go above the $3,000. The next one up is $8,000, which is not coincidentally $5,000 more than the first novel. Um, and then the, the above that, I hit $15,000 for the last of the trilogy, which basically, if I get $15,000, I'll write all three books. But I also tossed in a, uh, at $12,000, anybody who contributes gets a uh, copy of Goblin Town Justice, which is a short story that I've had published that is the lead-in for the next trilogy I'm going to be doing as well, right? So let me, uh, I'll explain to the listeners who might not be aware of it what a stretch goal is. So uh, for a stretch goal, that is the, the idea that you set your minimum goal of 3000 but if people continue to give you more money beyond the goal that you needed, you will reward all, basically all the backers for helping you achieve these new goals. So in your case, you asked for 3000 but if you hit 8000 uh, in backers, then you have this additional reward that you're providing to right. your 
to your backers, and then 12,000 and 15,000. Those are called stretch goals. And so you've come up with three stretch goals, and then right. you come up with a series of pledges. So t tell us about the, how you made the decision to do the pledges that you came up with. Yeah, that was probably the toughest part of the whole project, honestly, because you don't want to give people too many options because you end up with, with what's called decision paralysis, where people cannot make up their mind because there's too many things that they might want to do, right? And eventually they just give up and say, screw it, I'm not all that interested in it. So you gave you gave 12 options. I gave a bunch of options. Now, again, most of those are not what I would consider viable options for most people, right? Um, the real options that are viable are the six options that are below, $100 or below, right? Okay. Uh, the ones above that are what I call premium or prestige options that are more like, hey, if you've got a lot of money or you're a huge fan and you want to have something really special, these are some ideas about what we can do for you, right? But the lower ones, the lower six ones, are the ones I suspect I'm going to get most of the play in as far as people being interested in being involved. And what they really are, are is a chance to get uh, e-books, paperbacks, or hardcovers. And I also broke it up so if you if you want to buy just one of those, you can do that at a reasonable price. If you want to put up more money right away, you can get yourself a, an omnibus that will have all three of them packaged under one cover. right? And also, if you're willing to put the money to do the trilogy right away, I'll be happy to autograph and sign anything that you're going to be buying from me as well. Right? Now, it's interesting as we look at uh, right now, okay, so we'll come back to the pledges because it ties into kind of how, how long you choose to make your campaign last for. So as a Kickstarter uh, project, you have to pick a time that you tell Kickstarter how long it will be before you raise the money and they turn off the, the project. Right, exactly. Uh, now, Kickstarter recommends you do it a very short period of time. Um, originally, they had it go anywhere from two weeks to 90 days. And uh, in the last few months, they actually chopped that down so it cannot go longer than 60 days. And the reason is they, they found out by you know, doing some statistical analysis of the things that they were uh, seeing on their site that the bulk of the donations came in the first few days and the last few days. And in the middle, you had this huge trough that it was hard to get attention for things. Because when you start, when you launch something new, everybody's there like, ooh, ooh, cool. And when things are about to end, people want to see how it ends, right? But in the middle, you know, especially if it's a two- or three-month project, they wander away and they find other things to pay attention to. Unless you're doing a good job of getting people back in and looking at the site regularly and telling their friends about it regularly. And that was, again, one of the great things that uh, Jeremy Keller and Gareth Michael Skarka did with their separate projects uh, was getting people back to look at it constantly. They did a lot of great updates. They put new stretch goals in. They got people excited about it and telling more and more people about it as opposed to just putting it out there, getting the initial burst, and then letting it slack off till the end, right? Right. So you've been, right, right now, as the, as the as the, at the time of this recording of this uh, podcast, you have 26 days to go. How many days did you decide to do this for? I was going to do it for 30 um, but I, well, I wanted to launch it to coincide with NaNoWriMo, which started November 1st. Right. And then uh, people pointed out that a Sunday is often the best day to end the Kickstarter pledge on or drive on. And it happened to be that Sunday was uh, December 4th, which for 12 4 12 was perfect, right? Yep. Um, it's 12, uh, it'd be December 4th is 12 4, and I'll end it at noon. So that's 12 4 on the, at noon, 12. Uh, I thought that kind of resonated nicely. It was a good point for a uh, stopping point. It also comes after the first of the month, so people hopefully got paid in the first of the month. They'll have a little bit of extra cash they can chip in with it. Uh, I actually literally had people writing me saying, please make this a little bit after the first of the month so I can make sure I have enough cash to cover what I want to do. Right? <laughs> also, it gets, like, okay. Yeah, hey, sure. And it gets you past Thanksgiving, but it's still uh, it ahead of Christmas. 
Exactly. Right? Keeps you out so of the I, when I actually had about 31 and a half days to go, right? Um, and I actually I made one mistake. I, I didn't realize it was going to take me long to set up the, uh, the uh, Amazon Payments account that you have to do. You have to set up your bank account with your Amazon Payments account and link them together before they let you launch this, the Kickstarter program, right? Um, and because I am a small town, I have a small town bank that I love and I use called First National Bank here in Beloit, um, they were not able to verify it instantly like they could if you were like Chase or Bank of America or Citibank or something like that. Oh, really? Yep. So it can take up to seven days, seven business days. They say four to seven business days to get uh, for them to like make two tiny deposits in your accounts and then for you to report those back to them, right? Um, so I had you know not realized this until the day I wanted to launch, which was November 1st. I'm like, oh, geez, what am I going to do? Uh, but they also had a corporate option where they could, uh, if you could fax them your corporate bank statement, they could get back to you within 24 hours and verify it that way, right? Um, now, the problem there was, unfortunately, I have a corporation that I've been running my business through for over a decade. And that makes it easy for me to do that. So I had a corporate checking account. The problem was trying to get uh, paperwork because I don't get paper statements anymore. And then finding somebody with a fax machine. Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I had some friends of mine who run an insurance agency and say, you guys have a fax machine, don't you? I threw mine out five years ago. I don't know. How odd the challenges that we run into in today's, as technology continues to advance, that old technology comes up and bites us sometimes, doesn't it? It does. I mean, there's this legacy that a lot of, you know, only people using fax machines now are like lawyers, bankers, doctors, and insurance agents, right? Everybody else is pretty much on email. But um, there's not a, a really easy way to do secure email, I guess. It's just the reason they want to do phone, you know, use the phone line through a fax machine, which is much more difficult for somebody to hack. Right, um, right. So I can understand why, but still, it's like, really? You want me to, can't you set up like a secure website I can upload the thing to or something? You know, It's Amazon for crying out loud. Right, something. So as we look at your project here, you've got 26 days to go uh, mm -hmm. on this. You'll have probably, uh, this will probably come out in a week or so. So you'll have, uh, you'll be down to about three weeks. And I'm looking at your backers. You've got, you know, 20, 21 backers that are looking at that $5 opportunity. Yep. 33 backers at the $25, and then you've got 12 at the $35, But which is which is kind of interesting is you get 10 at the $100 level. Right. I'm, I'm not surprised by that, actually. Um, from the research I was doing, there was a lot of the, the $25 amount is your most popular pledge on Kickstarter, period, right? right? And uh, some people actually said, you, I, Tobias Buckell, or, uh, who just launched his own successful Kickstarter for a, uh, a novel he's writing, uh, he said, I'm not even sure if I wanted to have anything below $25 for anybody to pledge at. I'm just going to leave it at that, right? But since I'm going to be selling these e-books eventually in the, in the future, after this is all done and after my, my backers get their, their early rewards, um, I didn't feel comfortable trying to sell something for 25 bucks that somebody would be able to get for $5 if they waited a, few, a couple months, right? Right. Um, so I wanted to give people the opportunity to buy that at 5 bucks. Even though you know that's not exactly what I was hoping for, I want them to boot up. Now, on the other hand, because I have this uh, trilogy going, if I can get the second novel funded and the third novel, especially, then it becomes very attractive for people to move up to the trilogy packages, right? So, it is theoretically, once I get uh, I break the next goal, I'll be able to show people that it's very economical to move up from getting one book to getting three books, and you should bump up your pledge, and that'll hopefully actually bump up our our top level even higher. Great idea. And then to wrap up here, uh, I wanted to comment on your $500 pledge. You've got a backer at $500. Yeah, yeah I did a backer at $500. I was really pleased to see that. Um, it, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say interesting because the, the benefit here 
is something I think that attracts a lot of people, particularly people who are in the game industry or who like uh, the writing. And that is you're offering all the other benefits, which are books and things like that. But one of the things that you're, that's unique here is the ability to create a, 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 a character yep. in the book. Is that correct? Yeah, what's, I mean, there are other levels. Like at 250 bucks, I just toss your name onto some character, and you know, I'm trying to make him a nice character, so I'm not making you a murderer or child molester or anything like that, right? You're, you're going to be a hero. Uh, but at the Delta level, I actually sit down with you, you know, via email or whatever, and say, okay, let's come up with a character you think is cool, what kind of powers you want, whatever that's going to fit in with the world properly, and then I'm going to integrate him into the book at some level, him or her, whatever it happens to be. Um, and you can even go up to, you know, at the Alpha level, which is a thousand dollars, you could eat. Uh, you don't get the Superman, you get the, not the Batman and Spider-Man level guy, you get the Superman level guy as far as the number of powers that go in. And then, you know, at the top levels, it's like I'll bring, you know, scads of books and fly to wherever the hell you happen to be and sign the books and have a reading with you and your friends, right? Be I don't know if anybody's going to take me up on that, right? You never, you never it's know. Good. It's good fun. It gives them an opportunity. Um, it also makes the lower ones look a bit more reasonable. Right, right. right. But it's like, it, hey, it is, what's 150 bucks? These guys are paying 500 or, or right, 1000 right. or whatever. So. Well, it's a dream. So I know there's uh, people out there who, as they're reading their books, would love to have a character. And so sometimes you look at that, yeah. that 250 that 500 or the 1000 you're like, man, that would, if I had an extra $1,000, I'd be wanting to live in immortality in somebody else's work. And, you know, the, the coolest thing about that for me is not only do I get to work with some of my greatest fans, which is fantastic, but these guys are going to be my greatest backers when the novel comes out. They're going to tell everybody they know about this, right? They're going to have everybody they know lined up to try to buy this or read it or whatever because, hey, I get to be in this book. Isn't right. that cool, right? That's right. And uh, that's exactly right. Matt, I want to say thank you very much for joining us here on Funding Your Dream. It sounds like... You have a dream that's well on its way, and just the last thing we want to say is that you have uh, surpassed the $3,000, so your project, even with 26 days to go, is funded, and it's going to be successful. We're looking forward to seeing how high you can go here as more and more of your fans jump on board and support you. Me Matt, too. <laughs> Matt, again, thank you for joining us, and uh, good luck. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. This has been the Funding Your Dream, and I'm Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer. I appreciate uh, everybody listening. Take care.